Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. So um, first, I would like to thank um, the beautiful lady that's sponsoring this episode. Her name is Nikki Popko. She is a dear friend um, to those of us in recovery, and I'm so grateful that she sponsored this episode for us. So um, welcome to Purpose Driven Sobriety. I'm Christine, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, I have been um, blessed with the gift of sobriety since March 14, 2012, and for that I am eternally grateful. And I have a friend... On with me today, uh, Mr. Chad, and Chad um, hails from North Carolina, and um, I met Chad through a online um, recovery group page that he um, uh, admin or moderator. Or, uh, he's he's in there. He's one of the big wigs, and and was very kind and saw. Um, saw the benefit of what uh, this crazy uh, Waco, Texas girl is trying to do with this uh, and try to reach that person who's still suffering. So um, without further ado, Chad, thanks for coming on with me. That that just really um, just warms my heart. Um, we had a good conversation the other day just to see if, if uh, this is something that you wanted to do and you were brave enough to to come on. So thank you. Thank you, Kristen. I'm very pleased to be here. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been a journey, that's for sure. It has. Uh, so tell tell me about this. Let's let's start back. So how long? You've got two years, right? What's your sobriety? Yeah, I yeah I've been uh, without alcohol in my in my life for uh, just about two years. Um, it's been a good two years. Um, two years I never thought would uh, ever come. Back in the midst of the of the storm of life, so to speak. Um, you know, for me, it just kind of creeped up on me. So tell me, um, so tell me, so usually, usually when we come on, we, you know, we share our experience, strength, and hope with each other. So, so that, you know, and, you know, someone had asked me before we started this, you know, who is your audience? And, um, you know, w- my goal is to speak to that person who is still suffering, who's, who still thinks that there is no solution. There's no hope. There's so so. I'm interested to hear what it was like for you. What happened, and what your life is like now. Great, yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I think that makes a, a whole lot of sense, and I'll do my very best to do it justice. Um, so for me, I um, you know I'll kind of start out, I guess, from the beginning because that's kind of where it all began. Um, I grew up, um, you know, a regular kid. I thought, you know, uh, a family of, you know, four kids, I'm the oldest. And, you know, through my, my younger years, I realized that, you know, things at my, and and my home weren't as what, what we would call normal compared to my friends. And, and so I, you know, I began to understand that, you know, my, my, uh, my mom was uh, a victim of her her own uh, addiction and it was, um, 
something she was pretty, you know, outgoing or at least vocal about. Um, you know, there were a lot of failed attempts at, at getting clean. And uh, so as a kid, it was hard. You know, I didn't understand addiction. All I knew was I don't want to be like that. Right. And so, you know, there was a lot of, you know, a lot of damage that was done, you know, with the kids. And, you know, we worked hard to kind of rally around each other and, you know, be that support. And, you know, I guess in my 20s, I started to understand it a little bit more. I got, you know, got married and started having my own family. And, you know, I think I, I began to delve a little deeper into addiction because I, I wanted a relationship with my mom. And um, so you were trying to because, understand, understand more about addiction at that point in time. Correct. Got you know, it. I was kind of thrust into that position of I was the peacemaker. I'm the uh, oldest oh, of wow. kids. And, you know, we had the interventions and there was the rehabs and all, all the things that, you know, the world says is the right things to do uh, when you're facing addiction and nothing ever really seemed to work. And so I began to really begin to develop my resentments at that point in my mm -hmm. life. Um, especially to my mom, you know, some to my dad, you know, even being, you know, blaming him for not, you know, how can, how, how can you not fix this? Why, you know, you love her. Why don't you make it better? Oh, wow. And, you know, in our own feeble way, we don't know any different. We, we don't. don't know all, you know, so, you know, and so for me that, you know, I, I had made a decision early on that I was, you know, I won't be like her. And I guess, you know, I was pretty pretty uh, good at, uh, at keeping to that promise. You know, I, I guess like most kids, I experimented a little in high school and, you know, we'd find some beers or, you know, something to smoke or something. But I was pretty good. I, I didn't really go down that that trail and other than just some experimentation. And I found myself, you know, in my 20s and like I said, married and the kids were starting to come. And my life was, you know, by all intents and purposes, I was just living the the American dream, you know, I've got the wife and kids and, you know, striving for all the things that we wanted in, in life. And, you know, and then, you know, it, it's kind of like that old saying, you want to give God a good, you know, laugh, just tell him what your plans are. <laughs> um, you know, so for me, it really crept up on me. I, I, I didn't realize until long after the fact, you know, in the last three or four years of just really trying to take personal responsibility of my own life that, you know, I was contributing to some real deep brokenness in my, in my marriage. Mm. And it was, you know, my insecurities and, you know, the lack of dealing with childhood trauma. And, you know, I, I would, I guess I, if I'm honest, I was never completely vulnerable, not even with my, my ex-wife, um, you know, constantly having to guard our hearts and not let the people in that can hurt mm. us or tell us that we're doing things that are wrong. And so it was kind of a slow fade. I, I, you know, I, I just, I woke up one day and my life was in, kind of in chaos and um, <clears throat> the marriage was crumbling and, you know, got three young children who don't know what's going on. And, you know, and that's where it really got bad for me, Kristen. I was just, you know, I was kind of this, this prideful man who, you know, yeah, you know, I was at that point was going to counseling and submitted to some leadership in the church and, you know, I just wanted things to be different. And that's, you know, really when, when the addiction kind of caught up with me. So uh, how much, how much were you drinking at that point in time? You know, I started off, I think it was around 2011 was when this really started going south for me. And I, you know, I started drinking, you know, I was a very casual drinker up until that point. I might have a, 
couple beers on the weekends if i went out with my grandparents like we might split a pitcher of beer over a couple pizzas you know stuff like that normal and i began to drink more uh at home my kids never saw it my 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 ex never really saw it and i think it was just you know we we'd had some trauma in the marriage um that i just couldn't deal with and it was really hard for me um and so I kind of just became a recluse and I started shutting in and, and I thought, you know, that no one will understand. There's so much shame here. You know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a successful guy. I volunteer my time. I'm involved in church. Like I'm hitting all the boxes. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've got this big elephant in the room, which was a, a marriage that was pretty much shattered by betrayal. Wow. And, and what is it that said in, at least in, in recovery <clears throat> secrets make you sick? And they we just do. get sicker and, and so sicker. I just, you know, I began to drink and kind of cope with that. And, you know, it, it was hard because I was, I felt like I was on an island. I didn't really have the support of, of the, you know, the pastors of my church and the counseling team that we were, you know, working with there. And I just, I felt like I was really going through the motions. You know, there was always a list and I was being a people pleaser and some be very insecure with myself. I was more too happy to, to jump through all those hoops, you know, mm. whatever the list is, you need to do this. Now you need to do this. And, and it was just, <clears throat> I was chasing my tail. It was, you know, that was the first time I really got introduced to the effects of kind of what a gaslighting can be right. with someone. And, you know, so I kind of got it trained into my, into myself that, you know, I wasn't supposed to talk about these things. I wasn't supposed to make any accusations. I wasn't, I just needed to put my head down, work hard and, you know, be a dad and, and the best husband I could. And so I did. And, you know, focused on my career and, and work and I missed so many opportunities. And but but each night I would come home and I would just empty. And so I began to drink in secret and, you know, hiding the bottles and, you know, really trying to deaden the pain just because I wanted to be able to sleep at night. Right. That's, what, kind that's of what did it. Mm -hmm. I, I just wanted to sleep. And so I, I really spent about a decade like that. Um, you know, it was very bingy for me. You know, I didn't, it never, alcohol never affects my, to my knowledge, it never affected, you know, my relationships with people outside of my home. It didn't affect my work. I never, you know, I never got, I never had that moment that so many of my brothers and sisters out there can relate to where it was, you know, I woke up you know, in a jail cell or, or under a bridge in the hospital. Or, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have that super like, you know, aha moment. Mine was a real slow fade. You know, we had talked earlier about the slow cooker. That's my, that, that's yeah. what mine Yeah. Yeah. The, in our conversation, we talked about the, the, the microwave or the, or the crock pot. Well, and, and that's what I think it's real important that people, people know that, that, you know, rock bottom does not, does not necessarily mean under a bridge. Rock bottom can mean that the inner turmoil and the hell that you're in just between your own two ears, you know, I mean, ju just in, ex in existing, it, it's, it, the, you know, the bottoms are not the same for everybody that's in trouble. So just because you haven't lost your, your job and, and been to jail or have DWIs or whatever, doesn't mean that you don't have a massive problem problem so you know only only you know the individual can can you know diagnose themselves if you will but so was was your parents were your parents still active in your life at that point in time 
You know, they, I, I, get, I think so. I mean, we live fairly close, um, you know, same, same county, you know, pretty close to one another. Um, you know, I had gone through, I never would confide the important things in my life with my mother. I just, you know, there was, there was a lot of broken trust uh, sure. over the years. And I guess to a degree there still is. Um, but I've worked really hard and, you know, and having a, you know, and I can hit on that maybe a little bit later, but, um, yeah, my folks were there. I, I did confide in my father who is, you know, one of my greatest champions in life and we have a great relationship and, you know, so to be able to go to your, to your own dad and somebody who's kind of like Superman, you know, you, you look at him and, and, you know, I, I, I looked at him to him for so many things in my life. And so to be able to go to him as a man in, in my, you know, in my thirties, my late thirties, you know, like I, I, and to share with him, like, Hey dad, I'm dealing with this thing and, and it's in my marriage. And, you know, the woman that, you know, the woman of my youth who I, you know, met in high school, you know, we're, we're not working well anymore right. and we're, and we've both made mistakes and, you know, to, to be able to, to do that was hard. I think it was the beginning for me of, of what, what would eventually take several more years to heal. But, you know, it's that adage of, you know, I have to admit to myself and one other person, right. something wrong here. It's ironic so, that it was your dad initially, though, because if what I heard you saying earlier was he what now maybe I misunderstood. So was your dad an enabler with your mom or was he just kind of holding on for the ride? Kind of. I mean, we know how, you we know, can be. I, looking back on it, you know, and I've had I've had the opportunity to have some really frank conversations with my dad since then. So I think, yes, my dad is de definitely has been. Um, I, I wouldn't say necessarily that's happening now, but for most of my life, he was the textbook enabler, you know, it was, and I could relate because I, I think I took on many of those characteristics in my own life and in my marriage where I just wanted peace. I would, I was willing to sacrifice a whole lot of good things in order to get that peace. And it wasn't even really peace to begin with. So yes, my dad was, was in his own way was, you know, part of the problem for me, I guess, but not in a resentful way. Right. I never, I never resented my father. Um, and, you know, as time would, would prove later, I, I, I really was able to, at, at, at some point, have tremendous empathy for my dad. That's amazing. And to know how difficult that situation is and how really there's, you know, we don't have any control over anyone. Um, especially our spouse, you know, mm -hmm. we, we, we can seek to have good influence on them and let them have that influence on us. And that's how, in a healthy way, that's how things work. But right. so I, I did reach out to my dad and I did tell him and, you know, to, to be able to look your dad in the eye and have that courage and say, pops, you know, I'm like, it's not going well. And, you know, to, to tell your dad, you know, Hey, I failed as a dad, I failed as a husband, I've had bad things done to me too, you know, and, you know, like, to tell my dad, like, that my wife was having an affair was really Man, difficult. You really had to bring, yeah, that took a lot of courage. Now, did, did, did you share with him that how much you were drinking and all of that at the time, or just the problems that were going on in your life? So I began to tell him and, I, you know, I was, I was a little, I guess, naive and blind to a lot of the, the depth of it. Um, but I was also getting it, you know, I was, I was getting, 
from my ex even at the, you know when we were married you know you need to stop drinking you know you're drinking too much and I, you know here i am over here saying well it's your fault you know if you wouldn't have done this i wouldn't be in this position you know that's how we blame shift that's how we live in this this powerful thing called denial which i think is is more powerful than heroin mm-hmm. at times i mean it, i don't have any experience with heroin and i'm i'm sure you'll have some guests that do but denial is a powerful force and and i was so I was there. I was in my fog. I was comfortable. I, I had control over it. So on one hand, I'm reaching out for help and saying, hey, this is what's going on. But on the other hand, side of the token, I have control over it. I, As bad as it is, I, I kind of know what to expect. And so I've learned to mitigate through those things in my life. And you know, it, and it just made it worse. It, you know, I, it like in my own feeble way, I was focusing so much on the marriage and the relationship because in my life and the way I was raised, it's, you know, mom and dad need to be healthy. They need to be a good example to the kids. They need to be providers. You know, all the things that we know to be true about, you know, family and community that are good. Mm-hmm. And here, it was all in jeopardy with me. I was watching the woman that I loved, like, dis- disassociate herself from me and, you know, d- d- detach herself. And it was a roller coaster, you know, it was you know, during the week, it was really hard. We'd go about our days. I'd go to work. She'd go to work, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we would pass each other and barely speak. And then by the by the time the weekends would roll around, we'd be thrust into, okay, we're off. We, we need to spend time. And it would actually be a lot of times good. But that was the role. Because it was busy stuff. The kids and games and where they need to be. And you just, it, it, yeah. Yeah, There's there was that element of it. And then, you know... You know, and I, you know, the devil's in the details. So you find out a lot after the fact, but for me, you know, to be able to have that, those conversations with, with my ex at some point and, you know, and just frankly ask, you know, why was it like that? And, you know, and to, you know, you find out all the reasons why later, Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it was really hard. You know, I think for us to have that roller coaster really was, you know, during the week, there was an there was anonymity for her she could live and do whatever she wanted because there was no accountability and you know to have to be engaged in a relationship with someone else um has a a whole lot of consequences for other people too sure and so that's where that's where you know it was like you know basically her she was home on the weekends and there was no contact with anyone but me and so there was that we were able to kind of be back into that position like okay we're married let's figure this out but once monday rolled around and then there was another person in an influence in that it was like detached being in this pit and of detachment and so mm. you know and i couldn't handle it i couldn't deal with it i i think deep down i knew what was going on i knew the truth but i was so trained to not ask and not question that I just lived oblivious for so long and, and I began to drink more and more and more. And so I would have these binges where, you know, I would, I, you know, whiskey was my drink. I loved it. And it, and I thought that, that it loved me back, but in, in reality, that's the, that's the lie, mm-hmm. right? It's, um, you know, you hear that it, I describe it. It's like a siren calling your name from the shore and you just, you know, um, you don't know what to do, but you know that if I bury my head in that bottle for a little while, then I could at least escape enough to go to sleep. It's and a solution. May, maybe tomorrow mm-hmm. will be better. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow's never got better. They just got worse. And so I, 
I found myself into that slow fade of fatherhood and, and being a husband and, and being a son and a friend and, a, you know, a boss and, you know, all the titles and hats that I wore, I was, I wasn't mastering any of them. I was barely getting by right. and the people in my life were suffering because of my choices. Wow. That's such a, lo- that's such a lonely feeling even to be surrounded by all kinds of people to just feel so isolated. I, yeah, that's man. So what happened? So I um I had a kind of an aha moment, I guess. You know, we've you know so many people in these situations, and and I hope that this is you know if there's someone out there listening who's stuck in that you know that pit of despair and they don't know what you know I can barely even think about tomorrow, let alone you know whether I'm going to be successful. Like there's hope because you know for me. Um, you know, I trudged along through this, you know, for several years. And I think it was the beginning of, of 2019. Um, I had that moment where, you know, I was, uh, had gotten into a big confrontation with my ex and, you know, and we weren't fighting a lot. I mean, we were relatively peaceful. We just didn't coexist very well together. Um, but we had a, a moment and it, and it was, it was an argument. And as a result of that, there was a request that we separate and, and I agreed like, okay. And we did, and it was, it was in the home. It was weird, but that was the first time, um, I actually wanted to, to take control of my life and I didn't know how, but I wanted to change. And so I had reached out to to two people, um, two friends, lifelong, you know, one's a lifelong friend. Um, she's the closest thing I have to a big sister. Mm. Um, and, uh, just love her dearly. Uh, her name's Dana. And, uh, I reached out to Dana that day and I reached out to a couple other friends that were married, that were kind of involved with, with me and my wife. And, you know, and they both had the exact same thing to say. And they said, we think you should reach out and go talk to someone, get some professional help, at least get a consult. And and the coolest thing, Kristen, was they both recommended the exact same guy. They don't know each other. Um, this was a, a, a man who was in my hometown and he was a, a, a psychologist from a, a Christian perspective. And I went and saw him and I made a decision in that very moment that I wasn't going to talk about my marriage or what was going going on with her I wanted to look at my own self and take responsibility for my life wow that's and huge so that's huge to that get off to get off that blame train that's huge <laughs> that's hard to big. do that mirror um, man Oof. yeah so you know he and I and I talked to him about the the alcohol I wasn't sure it's like you know I knew I had examples of my life you know my grandparents um on my dad's side were um, were alcoholics and I never experienced anything negative with them uh, you know I'd heard stories about you know how volatile things were with them especially before you know when my my dad and his 
you know, his sibling were younger. And so I never experienced it. I just knew him as grandma and grandpa and they were a safe place for me. But I, I was being exposed to that and how this is generational and how we have, you know, we're, we have these tendencies based on things completely out of our control. Mm-hmm. One of those is just our genetics. It's, it's the way we're, you know, the way we were born. And so I began to talk to the doctor about that. And so, you know, he asked me some questions. We went through some, some pretty serious, you know, personal inventory at that point for me. And I just, I made a decision to be, to to abstain from alcohol. And I just, I didn't do it through the steps. I didn't do it for any other reason that I thought, you know, like if this is really an issue, let's take that off the table and focus on the things that are really important. And so that was my hope. It didn't go the way that I I had intended to, but I did abstain from alcohol for about a year Um, on my own. It was, it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. But there were moments in that where there were definitely temptations. And I, I definitely realized that I had become dependent on alcohol to run to alcohol when life was hard. So when you said it didn't go the way you, you thought it would, what, what do you mean by that? So uh, I had some, pers- some great personal triumphs in that with my own stuff. But, you know, it didn't affect the marriage necessarily. Things weren't getting better in that way. Um, which I guess is all part of the plan. You know, it all had to happen the way it did. Um, you know, we were still living, I guess, actively, uh, with this big secret in the marriage. And I guess I kind of knew it and she probably kind of knew I knew it, but we never talked about it. She was still actively involved with someone else. And, you know, and I got to that point where it's like, okay, well, if that's the way it's going to be, I can't control it. I need to learn how to be the best version of me. And so it took some time, you know, um, and so what I mean by, by things not ending the way that I, you know, we, you know, it wasn't, it was less than a year before we were really separated and on the path to divorce. And I remember waking up one morning after that, um, and going to my psychologist and, and I broke down, I was kind of in tears. I was mourning the loss of something that I wanted really bad. I worked really hard. And I said, you know, Doc, uh, this has all been in vain. All the things I've learned, all of the, all of the things about myself, you know, about addiction, about my own personality, about trauma, all of it's been in vain. And he looked me in the eyes and said, "You were assuming that all of these benefits were for her sake, and they're they're not. They were for you, and for the life that God has for you now." And it really changed my attitude. Um, wow! I well, began to. I think I think a lot of people when when they when they get into recovery by whatever means seem they they um think that think you know things will automatically go back to the way they're supposed to, to supposed to be or the, you know there's going to be you know rainbows and puppy dog toes and it's like okay well we we forget you know m- m- most of us at least I would say forget uh, the damage that that either we did or that was done to us that just it just doesn't just go away because we put the drink down and and start to to start to do some work and and that's where I think it's important to recognize the the you know taking it uh, so, you know one day at a time obviously but sometimes one minute at a time and and just taking you know life as it as it is but um, so tell me yeah. what happened. What happened after that? So your m- mom and dad still in the picture at that yeah, point in time? Yeah. And 
you know, this was right at the very, like, so this all happened. Um, it was in 2020. It was right at the, right when COVID started to really oh. start to destroy people and to really take its toll on people. And I, you know, and I'm kind of in a unique situation. I had a really good job. I was working uh, at a conference center and as you know, as a chef and one of the, as one of the guys that was training all the new staff and I loved my job. And, um, but then, you know, COVID hit. And so, so simultaneously, you know, I'm separated from my wife and my kids. Um, I'm living in the, the house that we li all lived in, you know, together. And I still have this job, but now we're on furlough because no one can come and be around anyone. So the very essence of my job is like, we can't even, you know, we're in the hospitality industry, so right. we can't see people. And so I look at back at, at it now and say, you know, COVID and how it destroyed so many people and it made things so difficult for me, it was a blessing because I was furloughed from work. I was able to, you know, keep my job and, and, and know that I would have it when you know when i was able to come back to it and not only that i was financially i was just blessed to be you know to fully get paid during this time and to be able to travel and to really go find myself wow and so that's what i did i you know i got on an airplane you know i lived in grew up in san diego and i got on an airplane and flew up to florida for the first time and you know i have a few family out there and i just i thought you know what maybe I just need a change of scenery. And so that's basically what I was able to do over the next, you know, eight or nine months. I, I was able to make the plans that I needed to. And I moved out to, um, to Florida in the beginning of uh, 2021. Um, and that's when my life really just started to change for the good. I, I, um, I enrolled in a program uh, it's called life skills. Um, I just, I can't speak it's as, as, as important as any program I've been through. And, um, and I really, and, you know, basically the, the, the gist of that program is to just go back and deal with your childhood trauma. Why am I the way I am? Why do I think the way I think? What life commandments do I believe to be true about me that are not true? The things that I believe to be true. And I lived accordingly and I put myself into a real small box because of that, my way of thinking. And so I was able to strip away all that. I was able to, you know, to write a letter, a couple letters to the people, including my mom that I wanted to, you know, express that, you know, how hard things were and to, to really my, my way of saying, okay, I want a boundary. What is a boundary? <laughs> how do I know what they are and why do I need them in my life? And so I, that was the beginning for me to, to really understand that we can heal through these things and we can, um, what, the minute I stopped thinking of myself so highly, I began to see others for the value that they are. And so, so, so that like, now, did you, during that time, were you able to come to an, uh, now, are you of an opinion that that alcoholism addiction is a disease? Absolutely. Okay. So, um, so, so my question, my question to you at that at that point, Chad, did you come to an under a better understanding of your mom and her disease at that I did. point? And it, you I know, did. it's it's like an, an empathy, you know, to where it's like, oh shit, I know now I see 
that if, maybe I think what I'm trying to say is, could you see her and the disease as, as two separate things, you know, see past I, the disease? I was, as a matter of fact, and it really opened my eyes to, uh, to really absolutely seeing things with empathy. You know, I lived with these, you know, and I think we talked about this at one point, you know, I, I lived with these strong, between these two strong pillars of idealism you know, the things that I thought were, you know, whether that's political, religious, all the things that I think are really important. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side was just was ignorance. I was just totally ignorant. And and so addiction was one of those things that I had made a stereotype based on my life circumstances with my mom and others. And I thought I had no understanding of it. So I began the process of of learning and, and it's like, okay, so am I an alcoholic? Do I need to like, how do I figure that out? And so that along with a couple really significant life moments, one of them specifically was, um, I was, I was new to Florida. I just moved there and I was asked by a family member to, uh, to sail a boat across the Gulf of Mexico, uh, to deliver this sailboat. Um, now my husband, I told my husband about that story and he said, what kind (laughs) of boat was it? So I know that Rick is going to be listening to this at some point in time. So what kind of boat was it? So I, you know, for the life of me, I don't remember. It oh, was you're a gonna break boat. his heart. It's a sailboat. Um, I'm not a sailor, so he's my, a sailor. <laughs> my, my guy, I know the name of the boat, um, and it's based out of Houston. And it was this. It's it's really cool people that I met as a result of this. That's amazing. Um, but I, they asked me to be the yacht, you know, the 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 chef, and so I had to plan all the meals, and you know, we shopped and we did all this, and uh, you know, I was like, okay, can I do it? Well, I'm up for the challenge, and so it was. It was a life-changing event, but what happened on that boat was, you know, watching the sun rise in the morning and chasing it all day and being out in the middle of nowhere and you're left with your thoughts. And so from somebody like me who never embraced solitude, never embraced being alone, was always wanting to be, you know, that, that social butterfly and that total extrovert. I think a lot of it was just coping mechanisms on my own end, but Needless to say, I'm on this boat and I had that moment and there was a song that came on uh, over somebody's iPod or whatever. And it was it's a song called Burn the Ships and it's from a band called For King and Country. And I'd heard the song on, you know, K-Love or, you know, whatever Christian rock or whatever. Mm -hmm. I I heard it many times, but I I never listened to it. And so I listened to it and I was like, wow, this is powerful. And I began listening to it. And then we got to a point where we were in port for a day or two and I had the internet. So I started researching the song a little bit and I realized like, this is a song that's, that was written um, from a man to his wife who was struggling with addiction. Mm -hmm. And it all seemed to just add like it all, all the, you know, the, the, the whole story started beginning to take like a form for me on this. And so back out on the boat, I'm listening to that song. I'm meditating on it. I'm praying. So what are you hearing? Let's back up to the song. What are you hearing in the song? For some, for people that that haven't heard the song, what what is the story? What is the what's okay. the message? Yeah. So so and it's it's based loosely on the, the so the the uh, the explorer Cortez from Spain came over to the new you know to the to the Americas uh, years and years. 1600s 1500s i can't remember i'm not a historian but the concept of it was you know they landed in 
what we now call Cozumel, it's Mexico, it's the island right off Cancun. Um, and after so many days at sea and, you know, got all these ships and all these men and they're, they're now getting discontent with their life and they want to go home. And Cortez did something as radical as anyone has ever done. And he literally set fire to his ship, the ships and said, all right, guys, now that's not even on the table. Go get, go Make get it work. yourself well, <laughs> that's go right. get content, go work. <laughs> find a life here (laughs) and so that that was like to me it hit home i'm I'm on the gulf i'm i'm pointing west i'm sailing across open blue water and i know that far out in the and on the distance is my home is where i grew up it's on on the pacific ocean and so figuratively i'm looking at all the things that i left behind the brokenness the hurt the things that i had done um, the things that were done to me for all these years. And I got to that point for the first time in my life as I literally watched this, this ship sailing next to me, right? It's this pretend figurative ship and I'm casting all these burdens over, you know, well, I'm gonna give up that, I'm gonna give up this. I'm, you know, all the things that, and what I, what I got to at the end was the most beautiful thing. And it was, Chad, forget about all the things that, were done to you forget about the way you grew up forget about the addiction of your mom forget about your ex-wife and the way she hurt you forget about all of these things it's time to look deep into your own life and take responsibility for the things you did wow and that's that's uh that simultaneously goes with me not drinking uh i you know i had uh, made a decision i was going to abstain from alcohol as i learned about this and so when I got back to, to, to shore after a three plus week, awesome trip across the Gulf of Mexico, I was now in a foreign place. Uh, I knew I wanted to live there. I needed to find a job. I didn't have any friends. I, you know, um, and, and the hard work was, had begun. And so God began to open doors for me. I got a job like within three days, it was this awesome high paying job and I started meeting people and I had given up the alcohol. And so I, for me, that last aha moment, and I think I had shared this with you, was I, I, I was missing my children. I have three kids. Uh, two of them are adults. One of them is um, almost 17. So she's my youngest and she's lives with her mom most of the time and is really struggling. I wanted, I was longing for my kids and, and I just instinctively went into where I was staying with a family member. I went to the bar. I poured probably five fingers of of whiskey and I went out to the lanai because I knew my you know I needed to contemplate some some things and I was feeling sad about my children and I raised that glass to my lips to take that first drink and it was almost like God had just spoke to me and it wasn't in an audible way I didn't I, I haven't heard the audible voice of God but he said to me in my own quiet way was do you love this or do you love your children and me more? Which is it? Wow. And I, that's, that was my moment that moved me to tears. I put the glass down. I prayed, I cried. I, I cried out to God because I wanted, I wanted my children and I wanted those around me to know me for who I really am and not for this, mask that I was so 
easily wearing for all of these years. Mm. And so I laid it down and, and I, you know, after that, I went, you know, immediately went in on looking at some online resources, you know, I you know, was able to reconnect with a, another friend who, you know, had some experience. And so I began going to meetings and uh, working the steps and talking about getting a sponsor, you know, all the things that we do. And, and, and at that time, I was like, I don't know if I'm an alcoholic. All I know is when I drink alcohol, my life gets unmanageable. Mm-hmm. And that's the criteria. It's unmanageable Just so happens. When, yep. when I add alcohol to mm-hmm. it. So, um, you know, I've been blessed since then to really, you know, to be able to tr- to really deep dig deep over the last two years into the program and the and the fellowship, the people, the the relationships that I've that I've made, and you know, like these are lifelong relationships. Um, and to to really t- take it kind of like that approach of like I I'm I've arrived nowhere, truly. I, I'm. I'm a long way from where I was and I'm heading to where I need to be. And I think from somebody like me, that's the extrovert. And that's like, I think I've realized for the first time in my life over the last few years, um, how to be content and how to be, and how to, you know, to have gratitude in everything. You know, one of my, my mottos that I've started to live by was to be the light. And like, we have to be able to take, I think for me, at least, Mm -hmm. I don't want to keep my struggles and my, my trials, you know, secret and, and, and my healing isn't in vain. Like there's gotta be people out there that can relate and to know that there's, there's hope. Like there's, there's always hope. I, um, I made so many mistakes in dealing with my, my, my struggles. And so of all the things like, you know, people ask me, would you go back? Would you trade it? I wouldn't, I, I still have, I, my, my children, they, they, to this day still have no, I mean, I've said things even in this podcast that my children don't even know, like there's a story out there that they don't have any idea how difficult it was. And for the longest period of time, I thought, oh, if only they knew, if only they knew. And now it's more like, it's not even really that important. All we need is a contrast of where we were to where we are. Mm-hmm. And so I, um, I've i never earned any favor or gotten any more love or acceptance from my children by disparaging anyone, especially their mom, right? right? Like, I'm not going to gain their favor by, like, we have as a collective, as a family, you know, we're not, we're no longer a family, but we still have family ties that will last forever. And so my kids don't have any idea what that is, you know, and the sacrifices that had to happen. They know that the reality of their own hurts and how difficult life was, especially when they say, yeah, you know, dad was drinking, you know, they have those memories of their dad. They don't know why I did it. And it doesn't even matter why. What matters is, is that I had to come to the point where I could own it and take responsibility for it and then make the changes to prevent it from happening ever again. So interesting enough, you, you know, I had when I first was was uh, starting this this venture with this podcast, I had posted on on social media. I'd said, you know, if you were to ask someone a question, <clears throat> excuse me, on on the podcast, what would that be? <clears throat> and I actually wrote yours down 
and what you had suggested and that I had because I just have a, a sheet that just you know random questions every now and then and and what you had said was is there someone that you do you remember what you what you said to me I what, do I what do. was it um I think it was <clears throat> did you uh, so you were asking the context was like what what snags did people perhaps hit in their recovery uh I think I got it right but but I think mine was what um challenges if any have you had in you know making amends yes has it has anyone has anyone rejected your attempt of making an amends and I say that because it rings very true with me. So, um, sir, I ask you that question. Is there, it, in, in you know, moving forward, you know, in recovery, um, depending upon, you know, what route you go, there there may come a point in time where you have to go back and, and make an amends, which an amends is is an apology. Basically, it's, it's uh, you know, um, I'm sorry, this is what I did. Um, will you forgive me and how can I make it right? That's That's a proper amends. So, so there are occasions where, you know, um, damage has been done and that may not be received. So has that happened to you? Uh, it, it has. Um, so I went through, like I said, you know, after all of that and really kind of understanding my role and where I really messed up, um, you know, I think the, the most important people in my life that I wanted to be able to make an amends was my children. Um, and so uh, the answer to that is yes, I've been able to with one, well, one and a half, I guess, of my kids. Um, my middle child is still just very, doesn't want to have anything to do with dad. And, um, and it's hard but she's not ready. And so I, I have a story to tell her and, and my story to tell her is primarily, you know, wouldn't even really encompass a lot of what we're talking about now. Like mm -hmm. it needs to be like, sweetheart, this is where I screwed up with you. Um, you know, and so she's not, she hasn't been ready for that. Um, and one day I hope she, she is, but you know, we know we can't, we can't enforce our way and and what we want even though even though it might be good and healthy we can't burden others with that unless their heart is open to hear from us right that can um, be yeah that can be super heartbreaking i mean especially yeah. when you've done so much so much soul searching and and you know um construction and work on yourself it's like it's like okay damn it i'm completely different you come over here and let me show you you know let me show you how how great not how great i am but you know what i'm talking about how <clears throat> compared to you know before i've you know i've come so far and it's like you know we have to we have to respect those people on on the path that they're on and right. and 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 find a way to be okay with them not just welcoming well you know welcoming us back in with open arms and that that can just be heart wrenching yeah i you know i think you know i've gone through the gamut of emotions over the years you know i i've shed en enough tears over my children to last lifetimes um you know and i think those days are are pretty much gone it doesn't mean that i don't still feel and have this just tremendous love for my kids. But, you know, I think really accepting, you know, the timing of it all and really like, you know, in, in AA, we, you know, we talk about a, a higher power and, 
you know, for everybody that's different for me, it's for me, my higher power is I have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. That's my higher power. Mm -hmm. And so, and that, that's what works for me. And that's what, you know, that's the way I, you know, a lot, in a lot of ways it was going back to my youth in the sense of, okay, I'm going to get right, you know, kind of, you know, that saying, I'm going to get right with God. I mean, there's truth to that. And so that's been the comfort for me. It's knowing, okay, I know two things in this life that are absolute positive facts. Number one, there is a God. And number two, I am not him. (laughs) And so I don't know the ways I don't understand it all the time. I think, you know, I see great traction with my son and who, you know, I'm, I'm working and building, you know, trust and a relationship with him, with his sisters, with my daughters. It's not going like that. And, you know, I think there's more to it. And it, it's real easy for me to go down the rabbit trail of blame and being a victim again. Um, in those times, you know, it's, I know that their mother, uh, the kid's mom doesn't really care for me very much. As a matter of fact, she probably hates me. And, um, and I accept that I don't like it. I, I, I think that it, that's, but that, that's where it becomes no longer a, a problem of mine. It becomes someone else's problem. And so I think there's influence with the kids and, you know, all of that, it doesn't really matter. It's, you know, that, that saying, and it really hit me hard. Somebody, uh, I think it was on, on, on Facebook or something, you know, in the last few years, I read a, a quote, it said, will you, would you step in front of a bullet or a bus or would you die for your kids? And I think as parents, we would all pretty easily stand back and say, of course, I would do anything for my kids. But what really hit me the hardest, Kristen, was the challenge. It said, but will you live for them? Mm. Will you live for your kids? And, and so I had to weigh that in through the lens of, well, had I ever really lived for my kids? And in so many ways, I wasn't. I was living to just hold on. I was living to survive. I was living to just get through from one hard thing to the next. And so my kids don't understand that. All they know is dad wasn't really there. He he was distracted. He had his eyes on other things. And so to be the best version of myself, I'm ready for my children. The minute they walk into my life, and whether that's for a moment or for for an eternity um i will buy those moments up they're like kisses on the cheek from the lord and so um i think with all things it takes time and and consistency and so i don't have a right to push and enforce what i want onto them i just don't so i'm ready and so it gives me great hope and in the meantime what can i do to serve to be in the service of others how can i help other people how can i you know, tell my, you know, my story is kind of anticlimactic. Like I said, I don't have this, this, you know, story that, you know, of biblical proportions of these, of this conversion that's, you know, magnificent. Mine's pretty regular. And the thing is, I think there's so many men and women out there who live regular lives who get, you know, they wake up one day and wonder how in the heck did I get here? Mm. And how do I get out of it? Mm -hmm. Well, and that's just it. They're living in their own, their own turmoil. And from the outside, everything looks fine, but inside they're just dying. I mean, that's, that's where the, you know, and, and that's where, you know, with, with the kids, you know, I I too have three children and, and biological kids. I've got, we, my husband and I have five together, but of my three bio kids, you know, this addiction, the uh, roots run real deep. 
you know, it goes generations back. And, and that's where, you know, um, I mean, at some point in time, hopefully you'll be able to educate yours as far as guys, you, you need to be, you know, on guard of, because this, this is in our family and, and maybe they'll come to understand the, the disease of addiction, you know, and be able to separate you from, from the disease, you know, like you have. So how's your relationship with your mom today? You know, um, I think it's probably better than it's ever been. Um, is she still an active addiction? You know, I, 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 I don't know. And that's really a a really horrible thing to say. I think I, I really, I will say this. I think she still has to go through life and, you know, it's, it's, it's frustrating because there's, there's, you know, it's like a lot of people, they start out with, it's like the chicken and the egg, which one came first, you know, to have somebody who has legitimate medical issues and has chronic pain Mm -hmm. and has all these things that could in a lot of ways probably contributed to the, you know, the addiction, you know, the pain meds. And so it's hard. It's like, which came first. And so for me, I always lived like living in those ideals for me for so long it didn't matter to me why the fact is, is you're doing it and it's bad and you should not do it. Well, now to be able to have the empathy and to really be able to put myself into that position of, of what an addict is um, and how challenging it is. I, I it's, uh, it's freed me to be, to have a relationship with her. That's more meaningful. I still have to have very um, healthy boundaries with my mom just like anyone it's some some people is more challenging than others um and so with my mom it is it is very challenging um at times to you know as far as the way we communicate um you know i i i tend to take the approach of you know i am going to give my mom my great my greatest asset or the commodity that i have that is the most valuable is my time Mm -hmm. and so who i give that to is up to me and so I made a decision probably about a year and a half ago that I was going to give my mom more time, even though it's real easy for someone like her to take what I give and want more and more and more and more and more. I, I can, I've, I've learned to look at just the flattery of that and not look beyond it. Right. So it's, 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 it's important for my mom to have a relationship with her son. And so it's important for me to have a relationship with her. Um, but like I said, I have, you know, there's moments where, you know, I will go a week, maybe more and maybe not be so quick to get back to her because it's a boundary that's important. And, and, and there's a bunch of reasons why that would be, but it works. Right. And so you still have to take care of yourself first. Yeah. My self care isn't going to get, you know, prioritized or out, you know, like that's always going to have to be at the top of my list. I've realized that's super important. Um, because without it, I, I will fall into the trap of having a lot of things potentially in my life that aren't good for me. Mm-hmm. So I have to be very disciplined. And and I think for me, really, it's about the boundaries, right? I, I only have a few people in my life that are difficult to have boundaries with. And they're the people that I normal I probably wouldn't choose to have a relationship with if I was walking down the street. Sure. But because they're family... Um, I'm willing to work harder at that and, and to just let things happen the way they are and not take things so personally. Um, wow. That's big. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of programs for me. You know, look, like AA has taught me a whole lot about, you know, just kind of dealing with life on life's terms um, to not get too high, not get too low. But there's been other programs that, like I said, the life skills was huge and and probably just as equal was I went through it. Um, I wanted to learn about domestic violence. I, you know, I really didn't understand. I mean, there's we hear about it and we see things, you know, growing up. I saw I saw physical altercations as a child um, between people I love that mm-hmm. love me that like I, I shouldn't have seen. Right. Mm-hmm. My children saw that type of stuff behavior between mom and dad whether it's yelling at each other or you know or worse right and i didn't know like why do why am i in this position i've experienced a lot of that and what i realized along the way was that i was guilty of of several of those areas of domestic violence in the way that i would manipulate and kind of control things and that can be abusive as well. Yeah, so do, so, so do, domestic violence is not raising a hand necessarily just raising a hand to, is what you're yeah correct. is what I hear you saying it's way more than that correct and, yeah and so that ushered it ushered in my ability to take all of these things and look at them and so to really understand like I, you know you I heard the word narcissist thrown at me so many times you know in my younger years um, by my by my ex-wife even you know calling me that well what does that mean am I that and so, you know, to get the help I need, you know, I was pleased, like, I'm, I I don't struggle in that area, but I know what, why people use it. And so I, I learned a whole lot about narcissistic behavior because I was a victim of that for so long. Right. And, and so that, that in a lot of ways denied me the ability, like step nine, you know, like I really wanted an opportunity to sit down and, and to have a some closure to have that moment with my ex where we, you know, we're still parents of three beautiful, amazing children, you know, like I wanted to at least reach out and say, here's where I screwed up. Will you forgive me? And that was not, she's not interested. So there's nothing I can do about it, but um, it's helped me live my life. I think not take myself so darn seriously. I think that that's got me really, really far in life. Um, it, when we don't take, take things personally and feel attacked all the time, when we're confident in who we are, uh, confident in all the things we've done, even the bad things we've done, like it frees us to just exist and to have more gratitude and, and to not really have those urges for the drink or the mood altering, whatever, you know, it's, I don't have anything to cope about anymore. Um, and I'm not so naive to think that that couldn't happen tomorrow, right? Like one day at a time literally means today I choose not to, Wow! Um, but I don't have those reasons. I'm no longer a victim. I I guess that paradigm shift for me happened on the boat going across the Gulf where I, I transitioned from being a victim to being a guy who wanted to take personal responsibility for all of my things that were inferior or wrong or unhealthy that is that's that is what we call a spiritual experience yeah that's a that yeah i can i can i can envision that i mean that that's just that's amazing so so what how do you start your day oh my days so you know my my patterns are a little you know geographically i'm i'm, I'm in north carolina now so I'm, and i'm relatively new here and i love it here but you know for 
Um, my days get started with God. I think that's the best way I can, you know, whether it's getting up in the morning and going and I love to watch the sunrise wherever I'm at. So if I can make that work that into my routine, I will. Um, I love photography and I love, I'm a, I'm a writer. So I have all these artistic creative avenues that I like to use. And so when I start out my day, I really start out with God. I've, I've learned this principle um, probably a couple of years ago and I really put it into place and I call it, um, I call it um, purposeful intention or um, segmented, segmented in, intentionality, meaning Whatever my task is for the day to start it, I want to do it well. And the next task, I want to do it well. And so I break it up into tasks. And I know that I, I've taken this approach where if something goes awry in task four, which maybe that's task four is driving from home to work. Well, if some you know guy cuts me off in traffic and I want to have road rage, which I think we're all capable of, mm. I can't let whatever happens poorly in four step four affects my step five and so i have this way of regrouping if something happens incorrectly i i literally want to sign my name at the end of every day knowing i've done it the very best i possibly can and and to do that without having such like i don't want to create this unjust sense of pressure on me like we are going to screw up and I'm going to make mistakes, but what do I do with those? Am I quick to apologize? Am I humble enough to be approachable? Do the people in, you know, in my circles, do they trust me that I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do? Like all of that starts in the very beginning of each day. That's amazing. And, and it's, it's really relying on God. I read my Bible every day. So I'm, I'm going through a uh, a one-year chronological, you know, read through the Bible in a year. I'm about six months through that. It's, I, I've probably stuck with this this longer than I ever have before. You know, I've always had these grand aspirations of, I'm going to read the Bible in a year, and and I always fizzle out. And so I'm I'm doing that this year, and it's making a huge difference. It's, it's who I surround myself with. It's my circle. It's the people in my life. Do do I? Do they make me better or is my circle just a cage? Am I in a cage or am I free? And so I, you know, I've worked really hard to kind of weed out the people in my life who weren't a good influence. I'm very, very particular about who I give my time to um, because uh, I'd rather spend time alone and productive than to waste my time on things that, that don't really matter. I, tr I try to, weigh everything I do in life through the lens of how does it affect my future self mm. and wow. is it good is it good is it negative or is it indifferent and sometimes we'll take those indifference right those mm -hmm. are that's kind of what makes the world go round and it, it sometimes those are really important but I don't want the negative and so with the negative people and drama I've had to cut some people out of my life um, that I never thought I would. And it's been very liberating to me. And I, I don't take it personally. I'm not keeping score. I'm not holding a grudge. It's just simply like, you're not good for me in my life. And, and instead of getting angry or trying to control others, I just accept people for who they are. And if it meshes with me and being healthy, then that's, that's even better. Right. 
Well, that's. Amazing. I don't know if that makes sense. No, but. it totally makes sense. Yeah, separating with love. I mean, you can, you can excuse someone from your life without having resentments, and you know, you can wish them well, and you know, um, on their journey as you continue on yours. So, yeah, that makes total sense. Well, I am so grateful that you decided to come on with me. Um, I this this has been a. Um, I'm, I'm real excited where this podcast is going and, and trying to just be the hand of, of hope out there for the person who still suffers. So I'm very grateful to you. I am too. I, I, I had mentioned to you earlier when we spoke, like God has blessed me with some opportunities in the future. You know, like one of those is to write, to write a book, to write a novel. And I'm, I'm in the process of that. So uh, I would love to come back and share that, that goal, that vision with you Absolutely. all at some, some point. Um, I think there's just some really amazing life lessons that we learned in this progress and this through the journey. Right. And Mm -hmm. for me, one of those was, you know, I never realized what love was until I realized what it wasn't. Oh, wow. And so like that affects my relationships with other people, whether they're friends, family, my kids, um, people that I might, you know, have a romantic relationship with i'm 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 not in a relationship with anyone now but like it it affects the way we think about those things Mm -hmm. and like i would i've said this to so many people like i'd rather be alone the rest of my life and be who i am than to compromise the things that i've learned just to suit someone else and i think the right person's out there like i think god will bless us with like where you don't have to work so hard but for me, it's just a matter of like being healthy on a daily basis. Um, it's making little changes. It's, you know, and so for me, one of the greatest was to like, I just don't drink. And I've, I've taken the, the steps of AA and I've applied those to my life. And how can I now share those with others? Like, it's a great program. Um, and I think for me, there's more to my life than just the program. Though. Right. I have to, I have to take it another step with my higher power, with you know the things in my life that you know. Uh, to me, AA is not. It's not just a cult, so to speak. And I know a lot of people call it that. I mean, I don't think that's fair. But uh, um, for me, it works really well with other things as well. And um, and so that's why I'm hoping that you know, maybe somebody, somebody out there can, you know, like there's hope as bad as we think it is, things can always be better. And they can always usually be better. It starts within, it starts from the way we view ourselves. So, um, well, that yeah. is amazing. That is amazing. I'm so glad you're sober. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I bet you are. Me too. All right. Well, that is our time. And um, Chad from North Carolina, thank you so so much. I'm grateful. Yeah. I'm grateful for hey, you. Um, Kristen, thank- do you. Do you? Uh-huh. I'm sorry. Do, oh. do do you mind? Do you mind if I uh, just give a real quick shout out to a couple people? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, this journey has been such a blessing to me. You know, obviously my kids. You know, uh, my three kids, Andy, Ray, Ray, and Tirza. I love you. Um, but there's been people in my life in this journey, um, Katie and Jeremy and Kelly and um, Jeff and Anna, Jason, Stephen, uh, my mom and my dad, uh, Lindsay, like all of you, um, you just have made my life so much better being part of this journey. So 
I, I, I just wanted to give that shout out to the people who were the most important to me. That's amazing. And, and from at least what I hear you saying, most importantly is a God that loves us and, uh, at least help, at least for me as, as well, keeps me sober every day. Amen. All right. I'm grateful to you. Thank you so much for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety and keep coming back. Thanks for listening to Purpose Driven Sobriety. Keep coming back.